refresh my memory on why you're on hotel Wi-Fi? Oh, I'm in Austin, Texas at the Entree Archi- the first annual, aka inaugural, uh, Entree Architect annual meeting. So it will become an annual meeting from here on out. And uh, this is the, the first one. So I'll be speaking here tomorrow talking about disruptive technology in architecture and you. And so far today, we're one day into the two-day conference. It has been a a fantastic lineup of speakers. And surprisingly, for the first time for this conference, I don't think anything's gone wrong, (laughs) which is awesome. Oh, my goodness. Hold on. Kind of knock on that wood. Yeah, knock on the wood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, hiccups would be expected uh, and, and definitely like, you know, not a big deal, but uh, none of that's happened. So it's been it's been fantastic. Yeah. And uh, first time in Austin. So it's uh, it's I, I have not been to downtown yet. I don't know if I'm going to get there um, kind of out of town at this lake slash resort place and uh, right on the on the water. And uh, it's beautiful. And uh, so hopefully I'll get to come back with the family at some point and check Austin out for real. But I don't think I'm going to have time this trip. So you won't put the weird in. Uh, keeping Austin weird, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah, just keeping it peripheral. Bad, but... yeah. <laughs> Good job there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I have been, you know, sadly I am not there, but I have been uh, paying attention to the tweets and uh, Facebook posts and such, and I see that uh, you know a couple of friends have. Um, you know, been speakers so far. So yeah. And America, there's a lot of yeah. friends in the audience too. Awesome to see, to like put some names to some faces that you maybe only see online into real life. And that, that's been really cool. And then obviously catching up with, with other real people, folk that we know throughout the years of doing the podcast and connecting through that community has just been fantastic. So uh, super cool to see people like America and Mark and, uh, a lot of friends here today. Yeah, you know, it's really amazing that that's sort of how, like, that network started is, you know, essentially through social media. And, you know, the more and more we meet friends, the more and more we meet people, you know, when, when you roll from, you know, like a conversation that you had through Twitter to, then meeting them in person almost all the time that I've done that, you know, me being, you know, a weird kind of loud introvert, I don't know what you want to call it, but been able to like, you know, almost just roll into a conversation with them. Like we've been having a conversation for years and it's, it's, it's just, that's the level of comfort that community has created that, you know, people just feel like they belong that's you know kind of really cool about you know what that community has has really done for the architecture community and i think it's because it's been around before all of these social media cesspools became what they are today (laughs) right (laughs) i mean the people who are in these communities are there for the right reasons right they're not they're not just there to to tear everybody else down and talk about their problems um and so it really becomes a place of support and I mean, accountability and sharing and all, all those things that actually do help the profession. So 
yeah, it is a, it's an amazing community and, and it's obviously due to kind of the original folks who helped create that community on Twitter and in the Facebook group for Entree Architect. Um, I mean, definitely like some major, major achievements have happened. I think, you know, a good way to consider it because it, it really has helped a profession. It really has grown to a, a huge community, which is, is awesome. So it's, it's really cool to see them kind of branching out into new ways to connect in person and, you know, be it the first one is just, it's fantastic because again, like it just, it still feels kind of fresh when, when there's like a new avenue to get together and experience other people's company and insight and sharing like like the the way that people are sharing it just continues at this event it's not just like a get together to pat each other on the back right it's it's one of those places where it's continual learning all the time there's some mark said that um every single person that he has to speak at it said yes so i mean that was my response hey do you want to speak at this thing it was just yes i i don't even know when it is i don't know where it is yeah i absolutely want to be a part of that for sure and it's because of the caliber of people who have come to this community throughout the last 10 years, I think started in December of 2012, you know, and it's been going strong ever since. So pretty cool. Amazing. Yeah. That's I know. awesome. Yep. So I have a quote to read. I have a quote to read you. You ready for this? This person said, I need to do more of that because it was refreshing to see architecture or architectural view through other people's lenses. <laughs> that was you you said that i was going to say that, that sounds familiar <laughs> so to, is there is there other people out there that are thinking the same thing as me yeah so so what what is that in reference to and uh and and what did you get to experience that led to that uh that quote so i have been recently kind of feeling a little isolated from the office and just like you know professional discourse in general and so, you know, I've just started to look around and see, you know, what what kind of events are going on around the area and went to a local library who was doing a speaking engagement or a book reading. I guess we can call it that um, for this uh, au- this local author, Jeff Morrison, who has written a couple of different books. And specifically, he was talking about his Guardians of Detroit and it was talking about architectural sculpture in the Motor City. And so what was interesting about this is, so he's presenting and talking about sculpture that you've seen on buildings. You know, a lot of it was kind of focused around the early 1900s. But then it, you know, also kind of like talked about this evolution from this architectural adornment from, you know, the early 1900s as it kind of evolved through, you know, the pre-war, post-war, and then to kind of almost win architectural adornment, the sculptures that, you know, kind of occupied buildings and cornices and corners and entryways and all this other stuff kind of disappeared. And, but, you know, he was looking through it first. So he's got two books. He's, you know, first looking through the lens of the city of Detroit and all of these architectural sculptures in the city. And then also his other book uh, was guardians of Michigan. And is basically talking about other places outside of the city, you know, the city proper itself. So where that quote that you came from came, came from was that at first I thought, 
you know, oh, this is kind of cool. You know, a local architect is sharing his vision of, you know, these things that sort of go unnoticed in, you know, in just architecture. I mean, because, you know, we, we, we look at the building, but we as architects kind of look at buildings and we see all of those little details. We see, you know, gargoyles or friezes or cornices and things like that, that are just, you know, kind of beautifully architecturally adorned. You don't really think about it, you know? And so as he was giving his introduction, I I had no clue that he was not only not an architect, Hmm. but he was, he was just, he wasn't even an architectural historian. It was an interest of his that, yeah, he is, he, you know, he researched the books, he researched the buildings, he researched the sculptors, he researched the methods. I mean, he researched all sorts of things. So he became a, an architectural historian by default of presenting the book and presenting his work. But he was just kind of a, a hobbyist photographer that t- started taking pictures and started to realize that his eye kind of gravitated towards, you know, these like adornments on the buildings. And he started to look and say, wow, I've got a lot of like pictures of just all of these little, these, these things on buildings that people rarely ever notice. And it just became an obsession that, you know, a hobby that became an obsession that became a book. That's super interesting. And it it is, and what was amazing about it is it talks about, you know, kind of this collaboration between artist, architect, sculptor, builder, and how there was this symbiotic relationship between them early on that really doesn't kind of exist today. And, and it was just really kind of interesting. And, and there was a couple of buildings that he had talked about, like the Guardian building in, in Detroit that uh, was funny enough now is like the headquarters for Smith Group, or at least the Detroit office of Smith Group. I don't know if that's like their main office, but you know, they designed the building back in the 1920s and, and, and now occupy the building. That's cool. You know, he was talking about this building and it's a high rise building, I, I think 32 stories, but he was talking about how quickly it was built. It was built in, you know, 18 months and all of these other things. And but you look at the building, you look how like absolutely gorgeous the building is. And all of the different details of the building, the sculptures and <clears throat> the mosaic tile work and all of these other things that are, you know, about this building and me wrapping my mind around like the process of today and thinking that they built this building in 18 months. And I was on a tour of that building one time and you could tell who was architects in that group and who wasn't architects in that group. And you, you know, on the tour uh, itself, you mean people, people on the, on the tour, you, you, you could, well, the person giving the tour, who was definitely an architect, but the, but you could tell in the crowd who was an architect, right? Maybe because they were probably possibly dressed in black. Maybe, maybe not, (laughs) but it was more so because when he was, rattling off facts of you know the construction budget and the time that it took and the design time that it took and everything else and and where all of those materials were coming from you know like turkish tiles and italian marble and all of these other things you know that were shipped from italy you know you think about all of the things that went into making this building and then they say 18 months and when they said 18 months every architect in that room jaw dropped 
Yeah. Because they're like, what the hell? I mean, it was, you know, and so and as he was talking about it during this lecture, somebody at the very end when they were doing Q&A, they were, they had happened to mention, or they, they had asked the question, they were like, you know, hey, you know, just curious today, you know, how long would it take to do those buildings or, you know, do those sculptures or whatever? And can you? And he was just like, well, that's not what I do, but it, it, it would be really interesting. I was standing in line to, to buy one of his books and to get it signed and to just chat with him and tell him how much I appreciated the lecture. And so they, the, the lady who had asked the question, I'd started to talk to her. And I was just like, you know, uh, it was interesting that, you know, and I told her the story about me going on the tour. And because all of the architects who you could clearly see their jaw dropping kind of like gathered together and we were all talking about, you know, how much it would have, you know, like our estimates of how much it would have cost. And if you could even do that these days, you know, because of like the lack of craftsmen and all of this other stuff, you know, to do that, or would it have been just done in like a plaster mold rather than carved, or would it have been done out of like fiberglass or, you know, whatever. And, and so, you know, we were talking and then it was weird that like a bunch of other people like started flocking to me. In, as I was having this conversation and then they started asking me questions, <laughs> you know, as I was like, whole, I mean, like I, I started, I switched from just like having a, a brief chat about the question that she had to like somewhat holding court about architecture and, and everything else. And we were talking about, you know, like this, my notion of like, you know, um, you know, preservation through poverty, trademarked, don't anybody steal that. That's um, going on a shirt. And <laughs> But, you know, we were talking about things and, and it was just, it was fun to kind of, no one other than me in that audience was an architect. And it was amazing because it was an architecturally, you know, like slanted book and, you know, talk and everything else. And it was funny because like, as the author was like signing things, he was like listening in. And then when I finally got to you know, the front, you know, you just kind of like picked up the conversation. He was just like, Oh, I heard this. And he's like, well, what do you think about? And I was in, it was just this kind of like beautiful, like role or like this shifting the conversation from like me having this weird little like court moment where I was like, you know, people were asking questions about architecture and I was answering him, which is so funny because I am like the most non architect dressing architect because I was wearing, of course, flannel because that's what I do and jeans and hiking boots and, you know, what I, how I normally dress. (laughs) And they're like, you must be an architect. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, oh, you know, and then, and then of course, you know, it was weird because then they're like, well, where do you work? And I was like, "Uh, a firm in Baltimore. (laughs) And they looked at me like, what are you doing here? (laughs) Which was an interesting I just drove in for this lecture. Oh yeah, exactly. But um, but you know, I definitely want to like put a, a link to it. It's it's basically guardiansofdetroit.com and you know, the author was it's he was so like just amazingly engaging, you know, but it was it was so where you were going is like this is being able to see like the connection, the shared history that he was presenting with everybody who was in this cuz 
I, I think I may have texted you when I was in there that I was like the the youngest person in the room. And you're not young, <laughs> like, Cormac. I'm just going to reiterate and, this for everybody thanks. right now who thinks you are. You're not. Yeah, I'm not young. And but it and so a lot of them had like this emotional or historical kind of connection to a lot of the places that he was showing. And, and so they would be like, oh, yeah, my mom used to take me. And it was like he was showing this one building and some of the sculpture. Unfortunately, the building's gone, but it was like the old Hudson's building in downtown. And Hudson's was a uh, department store in downtown Detroit. Funny enough, where my parents met. And so everybody had like this, this shared history of all of these different places and stuff. And it was just, it was kind of cool to like see the way that it was presented in a very architectural manner, but in a very not boring architectural manner where you could connect to it and you could, you know, and people were so excited about the places that he was showing and the buildings that he was showing and the, and just the sculptures that he was showing. And, you know, and, and it was just, it was good and refreshing to be able to to just sit there and you know especially you know me being new to the area you know that was sort of why i wanted to go is because i just wanted you know i want to learn more about where i now live yeah and what was great about it was just that everybody was very into it and very connected to it and come to find out that i didn't actually have to drive uh 45 minutes to the western suburbs because in a couple of weeks he's going to be at the local library here in gross point so i'll probably have to go again (laughs) it's really cool (laughs) to hear that there's like an appetite for design and architecture and kind of you know the intersection of this craft that you know of stonework and all those things that are totally a thing of yesteryear, right? Like these are not modern things. We don't see these on like, like we've talked about on recent episodes, like the buildings now are an output of like a direct relational output to the software that they're designed in. <laughs> and, and there's no like uh stone and tablature, uh, and tablature, <laughs> like, like uh, plugins anymore or gargoyle plugins, um, and that although there might be might be some business in that for for old places like this, but um, that that's super interesting to hear that there's there was like an audience there who wanted to hear about like I would I would think you know again like to reinforce what you were saying these are things that a lot of people just don't notice because they're just it's it's like seeing you know the the fire beacon on the side of a building or a you know a speaker in the ceiling it's like they they just kind of blend away right you don't really notice them any because they're not like part of the main volumes and surfaces and materials and you can't your mind just kind of filters them out but these were a huge part of and, and what i'm interested to hear is like in his lecture did he talk about like the meaning behind those things oh yeah Oh yeah, most certainly. And, and, and so he actually, he kind of broke it down into building usage and how that architectural sculpture had responded to the building use. And so it was the one that I found really interesting was, is when he was talking about, uh, publishers, you know, like newspaper publishers and, and those kind of buildings. And, and so there was, there's this interesting kind of connection to you know not only to like gutenberg and but then it would you know went all the way back to like early written history and it was it it you know pulled in either authors or printers or writers who 
you know, had, has, have been known to like, you know, be like the carrying on the spoken word to then the written word to then the published word. But it was, they were all represented in the sculpture that was, you know, on these buildings. And, you know, and the same thing when, you know, he went through a section on banking buildings and, you know, he was talking about like the Greek god of commerce and, and how that was represented on the building and, and things like that. And, and now we do things, you know, probably a little bit more um, gestural or kind of, it's a little, if you look at a building, you know, oh, so, sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of like divert you. I remember this conversation that a professor of mine had with the class when he was talking about how, you know, most buildings nowadays need this kind of almost like pink neon sign that says, you know, I'm a bank building or I'm a publisher or I'm a, because they're so kind of devoid of the character of what they're being built for. Mm -hmm. And, and that just reminded me as I was, you know, talking about this, that, we we sort of have somewhat divorced the use of the building from the building itself. Now, I won't say that on everything. I mean, because you and I, you know, came from public works and schools and, and you really can look at those buildings and you really do feel like, hey, that building, that school building looks like a school building. And, and maybe in this particular case, well, I would, what was really interesting is, you know, who Albert Kahn is, right? Yeah. So Albert Kahn actually is sort of known as like the, you know, the architect of Detroit, especially during, you know, it's, it's uh, golden years of, of development because Albert Kahn was, you know, he, he, he designed Detroit, you know, he does. And so even though like you, he worked with like very similar, either the same or similar sculptors as part of like the expression, you could see that the building itself, even if it did have sculptures on it that said, you know, hey, here are our sculptural representations of, you know, the use of the building. The building itself still felt like it was a publisher or a bank or, you know, a hospital or whatever. Because there was something about it that the character, the the assemblage of like parts and pieces made it feel like it was what it was and you know and, and it, it is interesting now because sort of wonder if we lost that little bit of like almost like self-expression to just kind of be a little bit more homogenous well yeah i mean that's basically what modernism is right it's stripping of ornamentation and it is on some level i don't i don't think again like it's hard to to say like there's this one criteria that fits all that fall under that category. Cause of course that's not true, but for the most part, I think it is kind of sterile in that way. And I would think, you know, I, something that I notice non-architects say is how certain types of buildings that should not feel commercial feel commercial. They feel like institutional buildings or commercial buildings, even though they're not, you know, so it could be, a small business. It could be someone's residence. You see some, like I obviously spend a lot of time on Zillow right now and you see some houses like pop up in the feed and you're like, is that a house? It doesn't even look or feel like a house. And again, I'm just looking at photos, but I think, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's like, it's, it's like the international style and modernism 
started to make residences in in this example feel more like institutional spaces, right? Just because of the oversimplification of materials and architectural language. And it's not to say that there are obviously very successful versions of those things that 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 did go that direction, right? I can think of many that I've been to that that like Schindler did or, or Neutra did, right? Where it's like v- very stripped down, but it still feels like a home. And maybe that's just because I'm an architect, though. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it, it is interesting, I think, to look through these other lenses, like you're talking about, of other people who are not architects to, as they kind of interpret or read architecture. You know, the great thing about those examples that you gave is that there was there was a sterility to some, you know, when you like stripped it down, they stripped it down to, you know, almost minimalism. And it was just kind of void of like, you know, the personality came from the people who occupied it, not from the building itself. But what I find really interesting about like Neutra or Schindler is that it wasn't necessarily kind of like necessarily overly pushed on it, but there was still a character of warmth and inviting that just made those, in in my opinion, far more successful uh, modern residences. Timeless. Than- yeah. Timeless for sure. Because yeah, you're absolutely right. They weren't, they weren't totally sterile, right? They, they weren't devoid of feeling, right? They, they, because they were masters of light and shadow and like sp- like the size of the space and the quality of all of those things as you as you were in them and and I think you're right you're onto something there it's like it is kind of this environmental feel that they were able to achieve that you don't see in quote unquote architecture in a lot of cases today where it is very much about economy right and efficiency and you see like the use of materials it's purely in the name of economy and efficiency, right? And it's like, we're not, like this goes back to that Heatherwick article that we discussed earlier about building 40-year buildings versus 1,000-year buildings, right? Like that, the materials that we're using are commodity-type building materials, and they're not going to last. Like they are going to have to get swapped out at some point. And, and it, it should, there there is a complete lack of ornamentation unless it's like, cove molding or you know whatever you whatever you want to call it it's like it's like particle board that you buy off the shelf in home depot to create some crown molding at the top of the room it's like people think of that as ornamentation nowadays right and it's just totally application it's like the the worst form of what we're talking about here whereas it, there's not i mean there might be some craft involved in the creation and installation of it but but the materials are not going to stand the test of time it is purely like to cover up other kind of mistakes that perhaps lie underneath where the, the you know, we have to apply these trim because they cover up the way that the dry, the, the wall meets the floor, for instance. Right. So um, it's, it's interesting because like when the buildings, like the facades, like the ones that I'm sure that you saw in the slides or in the conversation that are referenced in the books are very much like they're, they're a, a part of the architecture, right? Like they're not, they're not just decorative, like they're, they're there for more meaningful reasons. They're done with craft and quality. They stand the test of time. All of these things um, just take it to that deeper level that, and, and, and yet still they fade into the background. That's kind of interesting as, as buildings pop up over time, it just dilutes the overall visual aesthetic of the city 
And you might catch a glimpse of those every once in a while, but for the most part, they're just background and, and because there's so much, there's just so much in the city that it's, it's hard to kind of people to pick that stuff out. But when, when you see it, it's like when I, I tune into it and it's, I love taking pictures of that stuff because you just don't see it anymore, right? It's never new. It's, it's always this old stuff that is kind of decaying and it's got stains on it. And it, it's really interesting though, because it's different than anything else that you see. This book actually, you know, and I was starting to allude to it, really started to show this um, kind of like the evolution. Because so pre- there was a predominant um, sculptor that had worked with both Albert Kahn and also let's, I guess we can call it the, the early stages of um, Smith Group. I, I think the the main designer was um, of the time was uh, work. We're rolling. Yeah, we're rolling. And he, funny enough, for 12 years was the chief designer at Albert Kahn's office. And then later um, he left them, you know, for, I guess, a little bit more creative freedom from out of the, out from under the thumb of old uh, Kahn to basically become the lead designer for what is known as Smith Group. And and what was really interesting about that is because his career tied closely to these buildings that, you know, worked with this architect, I mean, with this sculptor and might as well say it's uh, Corrado Parducci was the sculptor, you know, an Italian American uh, sculptor. Uh, technically his name was Joe, but um, Corrado Parducci was, you know, he was a sculptor in New York. And then they, you know, started doing some work with him. And then he, you know, essentially he started to do more and more and more work in, in Detroit where he essentially basically just relocated to Detroit and became like, you know, the, the sculptor of Detroit, just like Albert Kahn was like the, the architect of Detroit. But he, but you, but what you can see is the evolution of architectural languages from you know, like almost like this uh, Italianate, you know, Renaissance to this kind of, you know, the evolution of like Art Deco and Art Moderne and even into some more modern, you know, before like, you know, this decoration was stripped uh, from, you know, the more modern buildings. But you see this evolution from, you know, these beautiful carvings to, you know, like carved reliefs to, you know, almost like cast sculptures and things like that. So it was, it was interesting that, you know, you can almost do like this charting of architectural style through the way that the sculpture was, you know, presented, even, you know, if, if, if you put a blinder on and you didn't look at the actual building itself, but you looked at the sculpture on the building, you could say, oh, well, that is this kind of uh, style of building or this, this style of building because it was just really interesting. And to be quite honest with you, I probably wouldn't have even noticed this if it wasn't for looking at these, you know, these buildings through the lens of the sculpt, you know, the sculptures through the lens of just a guy who was really, really interested in looking at those, you know, looking at buildings not just necessarily the buildings, but the sculptures that went with the buildings. And, you know, it was just like, it was really interesting that we spent so much time looking at the details in our own work that 
sometimes, you know, those details kind of like pass us by and it takes, you know, looking at it through the lens of somebody else to kind of like re you know, reintroduce you to it or, or, or introduce you to it for the first time. I mean, because necessarily teach the old ways and the old things other than, you know, oh yeah, this happened back here, but here's how we do it now kind of thing. And really there's so much that can be taught by the older styles, even if you aren't going to like, even if you're not in kind of like this, you know, preservationist or classical type, you know, approach, you were able to like, look at how they did like an entrance and, and, and see how that translates to like what you're doing. Yeah, I think of it kind of like this class that I, I mean, obviously there, we had architectural history class, but I also had a class in college called music appreciation, right? And it's it's kind of like that uh, if, as far as architecture goes in this sense to me, because I'm I'm a big fan of modernism like that. If you If I practice a style of architecture, it is that one. And the idea of ornamentation at this level is not something that I'm interested in doing, but I do appreciate it. I think the closest that I would, the thing that I guess I, I would say translates well to the modernist style is something that you would see, I guess like something at Falling Water that you see in the fireplace, right? Uh, or some of those kind of bow reliefs that you see on buildings like Billy Chen and Todd Williams do, where it's like some of their partee diagrams are cast into concrete and then those are placed in buildings and it becomes kind of an Easter egg hunt on some level. Maybe it's not like a a whole wall, but it might be a piece that's kind of tucked away on the side that kind of gives like some meaning to the architecture of maybe the idea of where it came from that's been kind of cast into the the building itself. I, I, I really do appreciate those kinds of things and I find them extremely interesting. Um, and, and yet they're, they're still kind of different from the, the types of things that you experienced in this lecture and in the book it's it's kind of enriching in a way it's you know rewarding to see that people do appreciate and and yes this was more you know traditional i mean you know more historical architecture you know but it was still to just kind of know that people actually do appreciate the work that you do and we may not hear it all the time or we rarely ever hear it especially like in groundbreakings when we're always standing in the back and they say we would like to thank all of these people and you're like wait who are those people they've never i've never seen them day one in meetings or anything and they're up there patting their back themselves on the back for the work that you know we and many others have done the ceremony of the uninvolved yes the ceremony of the uninvolved yes um and but then when you really see that like we do it because we hopefully that we're enriching the built environment and when you know people who you know in and, and even the library that we were at was this you know he would have totally dug it it was this very cool modernist kind of library that um as you drive up to the library itself because it was more of a modernist and it was in the evening that the um the lights were on and it was kind of highlighting the books and so as you drove up it was basically the facade of books it was just so cool it was just a real i wish i would have gotten a picture of it but i mean it was just like this really cool gestural kind of like nod to what we do and so you know, those are, those are the kind of like hints that, you know, maybe we don't have to put a sculpture on there to let people know what the thing is, 
you know, when we do other moves, but now I'm starting rambles. Well, so, I like the idea know. of, of some third party doing an interpretation for meaning of whatever the thing is, right? So this idea of doing that for architecture for, for a group of who's interested, I think that's, that's a really interesting thing. Like it's kind of like music, right? It's like, uh, there are a lot of bands who write songs and do not specifically tell you what the song is about. They allow the listener to interpret it for themselves. And that happens through art. It can also happen through architecture, right? It, just because somebody is interpreting it doesn't mean they're right, but it, it can be, they, people can pull meaning from their experiences, um, from their studies of uh, these different buildings and spaces. And and I think what's so interesting about architecture especially in the modernist era is like you it's not being spelled out for you is it is abstract right and so for those things to not be spelled out and for people to find meaning in them and you know and be able to interpret it to mean something is is all positive i believe and and to me that is something that architecture does for people right and that's what makes it meaningful so for for you to drive up to a building and and Maybe there's like a some level of abstraction about this idea of the books. Maybe not. Maybe it's super literal. But but the idea of what goes on in that building, I think, does kind of come back to what we were talking about earlier. That somebody's deriving some meaning of the function of that place and why it could be important, why it could be a cultural importance, why it could be something that's important to that community. Um, is I think that's something that is powerful within architecture, and it and it. I mean, it's one of the big reasons why I like to do what I do in, in the architectural field, because I do believe that it does have an effect on our communities and it can be a, an, in, a, a point of interest, you know, amongst many other things. So, yeah, it's really cool. Well, that sounds like super interesting. Did, was there any uh, like interior stuff or was it all exterior stuff or was it a mix? He mostly was dealing with the exterior i mean he did show a few interiors you know especially some of like the the more ornate buildings but it's especially now you know that you know some of these buildings are you know 100 years old and they've evolved to a different use and so a lot of the interior stuff might have been stripped away mm-hmm. and um, over time and, and and so what you really see is you know what's left is just the exterior stuff um and that was really kind of like fixed. And what was interesting too is because he would even talk about, you know, like, uh, you know, like all these different like gargoyles or, you know, like little sculptures and things like that, that were like these like little found gems along the um, the building. And some of them, they was just like, well, why isn't this one, you know, why isn't this facade, you know, have the same kind of like attention? And so like, well, you know, at this, it, it, it's even somewhat representational of what was there because, you know, it's just like, oh, well, you know, up against this building was another building and the building's now gone, but, you know, so, but this is all you ever got at that, you know, so it was just, it, I love just like the little simple nods to back to, you know, the history of, you know, the city or the state at the time that these were built. Yeah, um, yeah totally. And, and even even sculptures that were representing of like you know here's somebody from the city council who helped you know the funding of this building, and so they get a sculpture on you know the face of the building. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's so funny. 
I, I can't really think of anything like that in the city that I live in, but there are mosaics done uh, all over the city and it, actually like the neighboring cities too um, that are really cool. And like they're on the bank buildings, like, you know, you're talking about the bank buildings and what bank buildings look like. And there's definitely like institutions throughout the city and, and like in certain locations in the city, like welcoming people to the city that are, that's like our version of that. So it's very West Coast. It's obviously way later than the kinds of things that you're talking about happening in Detroit um, or New York City, for example. But um, but there are things like that in more modern cities that are just different, but still super interesting. And they, they've got a really cool history as well. Yeah, because, I mean, that that really does kind of like tie directly into kind of like this linear evolution of architecture and you know like if you think about it the the more you move west you know you start to see that you know where architecture started you know like the height of architecture in say like uh los los angeles or la county where you're at and it's really you know it's we want to do something that's reminiscent of the people who you know might be moving here, but we're going to do it in our way, our fashion, in our language of you know modern architecture, you know, modern of the, their time, not modern modern, but still sometimes modern modern. But you know, it really kind of is like you know this is our take on that kind of things. I was just looking it up. Uh, Millard Sheets is the artist who did it. And if you, I'll I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but I mean, he did murals all over the country, but um, just incredible work. And I'm just lucky to have so much of it in, in my hometown here and, and local areas as well. I mean, there, his, his studio is, is literally like a mile from my house, his original art studio. So it's very cool. Yeah, I, I I think I've probably got a bunch of photos of that I took of your town with those very, you know, kind of like just those sculptures or those kind of like reliefs or those murals. Yeah, there are a lot of reliefs. Mosaic. Yeah, mixed with with mosaics. And it, he did a lot of um, home savings and loan banks uh, back in the, I would say, probably during the 50s. Um, and they're they're still standing today. They're they're incredible. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes because uh, he actually taught at the local college in, in Claremont as well. So there there was such a huge art scene here. So I I, I think that it, this is the closest thing that I can get to what you're experiencing there in Detroit in my in my town. So pretty cool stuff. Well, you know how we talked about um, architectural injuries last episode. Like right after that, I I broke my finger. (laughs) I was like, did I cause this? What, what just happened? Crazy. I was, I was at the climbing gym with my kids and I was just doing the normal thing that I always do. And my finger made the most terrible sound. And uh, so I decided to go to urgent care because I thought I, I like blew a tendon or something. And because I looked it up, what do you do if you, if you it's like go to the er so i i went to the urgent care and they did an x-ray and yep broke my finger so once again and jinxed you know, myself with an arca speak podcast Jeez. and especially since you were um doing 
you were traveling, you, you know, this was before you went to MDC, right. You know, before where you are now. Yep. And so, Oh you my know, God, there's I mean, so much handshaking going on and it, it's, it just kills me every time. <laughs> I try not to shake anybody's hand too hard because I'm just like, I don't, I don't, I'm not wearing the brace anymore. So this was a, I don't know. When, when did I do this? I guess I did it last Thursday. It's Wednesday now. It's almost been, so it's been six days since I broke it and I'm just, trying to get get along without uh this giant ugly brace on my finger on my middle finger on my right hand so uh yeah fantastic i honestly if i were you i would put it right back on just so that you don't like re-injury from i, I am the a, little, a little afraid of uh like slamming it against something yeah sometimes so anyway hey, i do doing? think i jinx myself <laughs> having that conversation and yeah. you are welcome. Thank you. For what? Because for it, I think I was the one who, um, well, you know, you, you brought it up. I you did. You started this. I did. I, I did. <laughs> so I, I welcome, I, I'm. You're, I, you're welcome to yourself. I guess I'm welcome to myself. Yeah. <laughs> stupid. I should never do that again. Not only do you suffer for your art, but sometimes you suffer for your, uh, your hobbies. That's right. Got to, got to, yeah. Suffer everywhere. Suffer fest. <laughs> Just suffer. Just suffer. What are you going to do? Cry about it? <laughs> nope. Not going to cry no. about it. I, I feel pretty proud of myself because uh, I, I didn't cry about it at all. My kids are like, you seriously broke your finger? I'm like, yep. It's like, how's it going? I'm like, it's fine. Don't, don't worry. It's not a bad, it's not a bad break. So yeah. Felt yeah. pretty tough. <laughs> Well, you know. Well, next time we'll talk about a Monterey Design Conference. Yes. Tell people what that was like. We got got a bunch of stuff to talk about there. Thanks for listening. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. See all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A dot com. You can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and don't forget to share it with your friends. We'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at arcaspeakpodcast.com, where you can find our entire catalog of shows. Talk to you soon.